I was thinking this week that um, life is kind of like football. And, of course, you can substitute whichever sport you prefer. I've coached football for a very long time, and I am sad to report that I have lost more than I have won. Um, if you've played a competitive sport or if you've coached it, you know that you typically lose more than you win. You experience more downs than ups. And that is particularly applicable to this interesting season that we find ourselves in as a culture. There's a very good chance, I'm willing to bet, that um, some of you are feeling a little bit down, a little bit stressed by uh, what is unfolding with coronavirus here in our culture. And so I hope this morning um, to encourage you by reminding you that um, from the perspective of a Jesus follower, so I'm assuming here that you have a relationship with Jesus, from the perspective of a Jesus follower, the victory is coming. It's on its way. In uh, some senses, it has already been accomplished. Usually here I would go right to um, Genesis, but I wanted to just instead go to Philippians chapter 1 for just a minute and uh, reinforce for you why the victory is uh, as sweet as we know it is. So here's Philippians 1 starting at verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this, he's talking here about some suffering that he's been enduring, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Here it is, you've heard this one before. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, meaning I get to do that thing that God has called me to do. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus, because of my coming to you again. I love that uh, Paul doesn't know whether he wants to go see Jesus more or stay with Jesus' people to help them in their ministry more. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. If you belong to Jesus, I have very good news for you today. Uh, No matter what happens, you win. And uh, that, hopefully, is very encouraging in the midst of your life this week. No matter what happens, you win. So, I want to invite you to take a deep breath and enjoy exploring nine ways with me to welcome the victory from uh, Genesis 47. Here it is for you. So, Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, my father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen and from among his brothers he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you, best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen, and if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought in Jacob his father and stood him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed 
Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Listen to what he says about his life here. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. Now there was no food in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt, in the land of Canaan, in exchange for the grain that they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, Give your livestock, and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food. And we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh, and give us sand. So Joseph bought all the land of Pharaoh, all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for all the Egyptians sold their fields, because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one land of the priests, for the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh, and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own, as seed for the field, and as food for yourselves and your households, and as food for your little ones. And they said, You have saved our lives. May it please, my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possession in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, so the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, Put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. Genesis 47. 
Here's a keystone habit number 11. Uh, you'll see the definition of a keystone habit in the lower third of your screen. We want you to remember that a keystone habit is the kind of habit that cascades into other areas of your life. My goal with this series has been to introduce you to 14 keystone habits that as you kind of begin to walk them out in your life, you will see those keystone habits begin to transform other areas of your life that seem unconnected. Here is keystone habit number 11. Welcome the victory as the tables are turned. What I like about um, victory is that in the Christian sense, victory has both a past, a present, and a future components to it. If you're following along with your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 2. I want to read for you verses 4 through 10. These are, again, very famous verses, and I'm doing a bit more work in the Bible today, a bit more time. I'm not as stressed. We don't have to get out of here after first service and go right into second service, so I may go a little longer than usual, and everyone said amen. So um, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 2 and uh, look at verse 4 through 10. This is, again, a very famous passage. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are, I love this part, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I hope you noticed even as we were reading through it there the um, past, present, and future moments that exist there in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 through 10. In verse 8 for example we read by grace you have been saved. So this is a accomplished deal. This is past. This has already happened. By grace you have been saved. In verse 5 we read that he has made us alive. Again something that he has already done. This is past. In verse 6 we read he has raised us up and seated us in Christ. Again, these are all accomplished things. These are things that have passed. In verse 10, however, we see um, the presence in the mention of workmanship. For you are his workmanship, created for good works that we should walk in them. So now we see the present implication of walking with Jesus. Because you have been saved, you are to walk in your present moment in good works. And then we get to the future picture in verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show you the immeasurable grace and kindness. So you have been saved, you have the victory from the past, you are being saved, you have the victory in your present, you will be saved, all things will be made new and will be well one day, past, present, and future. So with that in mind, knowing that your victory encompasses your past, it applies to your present, and it is secure as far as your future is concerned, let's explore those nine ways to welcome the victory. The first way you can welcome the victory is by making sure you're all in. This is almost a throwaway point. We mentioned this last week. It's found in verse 1. They came down to Egypt, Joseph's family, with all that they possess. 
So I just want to say they're all in with this relocation. Now, you may think I'm stretching it here, but think about what they would have had to do to prepare to move 70 people from Canaan, which is where Israel is today, south to Egypt by foot with livestock, with all their herds. So these were um, herdsmen, shepherds. They had flocks. You can imagine, I mean, imagine just trying to control 70 people with, like, I can't, I'm thinking about Hunter Franks. I got a shout out to Hunter Franks. Hi, buddy. Imagine that Hunter Franks is running from Canaan to Egypt, chasing a sheep, and there's a cliff over there, and Ryan Franks is trying to chase him, saying, stop, stop. Like, it's a big deal. They would have had to be committed. They would have had to give it everything they've got. So going all in is not just a truism in sports. It's not just a truism in the uh, biblical characters' lives. It is true in your life and mine. And this is a principle, an idea that is echoed for us in Jesus' teaching as well. We read in Luke chapter 9, verse 62, Jesus says, No one who puts their hands to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but that strikes a little bit of fear in my heart because I know that I often have the tendency to start something and then to pause, to hesitate, to think, mm, I don't know, maybe we should rethink this. Okay, we need to welcome the victory by being all in. Make sure that you're living all in. Interesting. How can you live all in, even in this kind of half-life we're all going to have to endure here for the next few weeks? I suggest that you... Don't let the restrictions that you have to live under restrict you from living an all-in kind of life with your Jesus. You can welcome the victory by making sure you're living all-in. You can also welcome it, welcome it by knowing what you're about. That is our second point here. It's found in verse 3. You need to know what you're about if you want to welcome the victory. Your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. So they are brought before Pharaoh, five of them. He asks them, as Joseph predicted he would in the previous chapter, what is your occupation? What do you do? I find it interesting that people never change, right? You go to a party, and you meet somebody new. One of the first things they ask you is, so what do you do? And so here we have Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. He's the ruler of the most, probably the most powerful nation, inarguably, in that region. Um, probably the most powerful nation in the world at that time, other than perhaps uh, China, which, you know, they would have had no contact with the Chinese empire that was contemporary with theirs at the time. But, you know, for all intents and purposes, this is like the, the living God, if you will, small g, ruler of the most powerful country on earth. And the first thing he wants to know is, what do they do? And it's interesting that they say, well, we're shepherds. Now, we know that Joseph had warned them that every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians, but they still say that that's what they do. This is what we do. We are shepherds as were our fathers. I don't know about you, but I find that kind of focus very compelling. I find myself always drawn to people who really know who they are, and they know what they're about. Uh, it doesn't matter really what you do. I have been inspired by... Um, People who spend their lives roofing houses and they're all about it. That's what they do. They're excited about it. They're passionate about it. I'm sure you've met a teacher who loves teaching your little ones and that is what they do. Their identity is caught up in what they do. And you will have people teach you not to allow your identity to connect to what you do. But I don't think that's necessarily always the best way to approach a life lived well. I'm always inspired when I meet somebody who knows what they're about and is about their business. They know that they are shepherds, and that's what their fathers were. I find that kind of focus very compelling. Again, that kind of focus is echoed for us in the New Testament. We read in Galatians 2.20, again, a very famous passage, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I have... Um, 
been learning throughout my walk with Jesus over many years to apply that verse to my life in such a way that I am learning to identify myself this way. I'm a dead man walking who preaches the gospel and helps people encounter Jesus. That's what I'm about. What do you do? I'm a dead man walking. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and he has called me to be a preacher of the gospel and to help as many people as possible encounter him in as real a way as possible. And no joke, that certainty drives every day of my life. I wake up, and I think about that. I go throughout my day, and I think about that. I find myself in a difficult moment, and I think about what it is that God has put me on the earth to do. I have focus. Know what you are about. I want to invite you this week as you have a bit of a break from the typical grind of your daily life here in the fallen west. I want you to take this almost as a bit of a Sabbath and use it to refocus on the thing that God has called you to do. Know what you're about and welcome the victory by point number three, knowing where you belong and why. We see this in verse 4. They say to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn here because there is no pasture. So two things. Sojourn means we're here for a good time, not a long time. Right? The Bible teaches us that we are strangers and sojourners. We should be cultivating a healthy distance between our life as one of God's creatures and our life in whatever context we live. So for you, if you're a member of our church, you live here in the city of Guelph, who knows where you are watching this video this morning. You may live in Los Angeles, you may live in Europe, you think, my life is Parisian. Well, yes, in some sense your life is Parisian, but your real life, your true life, your ultimate identity is as one of God's friends. You're here for a good time, not a long time. We are strangers and sojourners. We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture. Importantly, here's the idea. We're here, but we're not from here. I want to invite you to begin living that way, especially this week in this kind of weird transitional three-week moment. We're here, but we're not from here. When you think about being from the eternal Zion, from thinking that I'm already at home with Jesus, I'm seated with God in Christ even now in heavenly places, so that's where I'm really from. I'm here, but I'm not from here. How do I know? Philippians 3.20 tells us our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. May that encourage you and help you this week, knowing that your true citizenship is in heaven. A real key here also is found in the text to helping us know where we belong. It's that whole there is no pasture thing. I want to interpret that a little bit lyrically here for a moment, if I may. We've come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture. Um, It's a hop, skip, and a jump from them leaving their home because there's nothing there for them anymore to you and I thinking, you know, there's really nothing here for me anymore. Allegorically, you could say there is no satisfaction to be found outside of relationship with God. That's why I had uh, Jenny read Isaiah 55 off the uh, top of today's online service. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And those who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Here it is. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. 
Every time I hear God saying in the pages of the Old Testament, come to me, I hear echoing Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Here's the point. You don't belong in Canaan. You belong with Jesus. Okay? You, you don't belong in Guelph. You belong with Jesus. You don't belong in L.A. I mean, L.A. is wonderful. Or Paris. Or Miami. Or Africa. Or Russia. Or wherever it is you are watching this today. That is not where you belong. Where you belong is with Jesus. No who you truly are, and where you truly belong and why. And welcome the victory by point number four, knowing what you need and asking for it. We find this in uh, verse four. Please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. So Pharaoh says, what do you do? They say, we're shepherds, Please, like our fathers were. Please let us dwell in the land of Goshen. Why the land of Goshen? The land of Goshen was pasture land. There's actually um, extant um, written copies or written records from this same era found in Egypt that talk about foreigners, non-Egyptians, living in the land of Goshen so that they could pasture their flocks. So they asked to live in the land of Goshen. Joseph has told them to ask for that. But Goshen was pasture land. Please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Why do they ask to live there? Because they need to live there. Why do they need to live there? Because they are shepherds. Here's the question. Do you know what you need? Goshen for them was a context in which they could live and do that thing that they've been called to do. Very important for you to know, if you want to welcome the victory, that you are living somewhere that provides you with a context to do what God has called you to do. You might know some people, you might be a person who is living somewhere that does not um, enable them to do that thing that God has called you to do. If you are meant to pasture large flocks of sheep, you better live in pasture land. Okay? If you are meant to be a ship's captain, you better live by the sea. Okay? If you are meant to be a preacher of the gospel, you better live somewhere where there's a church who will let you preach. If you are a doctor, you better be near a hospital. If you are a chef, you better have a restaurant to work in. Do you have a context in which you can do that thing that God has called you to do? Or have you just gotten comfortable where you are? Very importantly, they would not have been able to shepherd their flocks unless they lived in the land of Goshen. Do you know what you need? And are you in the habit of asking for what you know that you need? Um, Of course, this is, you know, a necessary moment to go to Matthew 7, to Jesus' very famous words about asking. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, <laughs> I love Jesus, he minces no words. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask of him? Ask, seek, find. Those who seek, find. And let me just take a shot at myself here. Seeking is different than the way in which I look for the peanut butter in the fridge. I always have to ask, hey, Nick, have you seen the peanut butter? And what's funny is she can always find it. Why? Because she is naturally better at seeking than I am. Seek, work at it. Seek and you will find. So here's the teachable point for you. Get engaged with what you need. 
Okay, so figure out what it is that you need, what God has called you to do. Seek after it. Okay, get engaged with what you need. Ask for it. Okay, seek and you will find. And welcome the victory by, point number five, expecting and being the best. I love this point. You hear me say from time to time that I'm learning to live to achieve greatness, and I'm often encouraging you to do the same. Well, here Pastor Todd gets to uh, preach a passage that matches his personal theology. Verse 6, Pharaoh says, look, your family has come. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land, and if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Isn't it interesting that even though every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians, Pharaoh wants the good shepherds to manage his sheep. Right? So never really trust the cultural bias that you find yourself living and working within. If you are great at what you do, the cream tends to rise to the top. If you know any able men, this is a really wonderful phrase here in the Hebrew. Um, it actually says, if you know any anashe chayl. So anashe is um, a word for anashim, which is men. So if you know any men, anashe chayl. Chayl is the word for soldiers. So if you know any warrior dudes... Right, Chayel, when you say to somebody, you're awesome, like you could say to a woman, at eshet chayel, you are a warrior woman. Okay? If it was a guy, you'd say, chayel, you're a warrior guy. So literally here Pharaoh is saying, if you know any warrior dudes, put them to work for me. Put in vernacular that might help you a little bit. If you know any people predisposed for greatness, I would like them to be the shepherds of my flocks. I want you to notice here that the best of the land is given to these people, and Pharaoh asks for people who are the best at what they do. Okay, In light of your past, present, and future victory in Jesus, maybe, just maybe, it's reasonable to expect a little more greatness in you and around you. Maybe you need to begin dreaming about more. Maybe you need to begin asking God for more. Dare I say it, maybe you and I need to begin asking ourselves to do more, expecting more. Give them the best of the land, and I want the best of them to take care of my sheep. Let's invite a little greatness into our lives and welcome the victory by point number six, knowing the true measure of a life. If you uh, have your Bible still open to Genesis 47, look with me at verses 8 through 10. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. I find it very interesting that Jacob has what we could consider a fairly limited perspective when it comes to his own life. Notice in verse 9, he says, Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. From a guy who at this time is 130 years old. Still has his wits about him. We know from the chapter that he's going to live to 147 He has a massive family. He's just relocated. They're going to survive. His beloved son Joseph is the number two in the greatest nation in the land. They've been given the best place to settle in the land. Some of his sons have been elevated to serve Pharaoh himself. It looks to me like everything's going well. But he thinks that few and evil have been the days of his life. Interestingly, in verse 9, the second part, he says that his days have not attained to his fathers. Let me just say, I felt it was very nice to know that I'm not the only one who struggles with comparison issues. 
right? He feels like his life has not attained to the life of his forefathers. This is Jacob, son of Isaac, son of Abraham we're talking about here. And he feels inferior when compared to his fathers. It's interesting in the original language when he says, my days have not attained to those of my fathers. Attained here in the Hebrew is overtaken. My days have not overtaken my fathers, which is, of course, race imagery. Okay, I've not been able to catch up to them. I have not been able to surpass them. In this context, the student has not surpassed the master. My days have not overtaken the days of my father. Let me just say something to you, two things really, about racing imagery. One, we're not racing anyone. Okay, we're not racing each other. It is not healthy to think of yourself as in competition with your sisters and brothers in the family of God. We are not racing each other, but we definitely are running a race. You know where I'm going to take you next, don't you? Yes, I'm going to take you to Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hands of the throne of God. I love the reminder there in Hebrews 12 to lay aside every weight. What is holding you back from doing that thing that God has uniquely called you to do? If you can identify something, even as I'm speaking to you right now, lay it aside. Lay aside every weight. And the sin which so easily entangles you. Do you have a sin that consistently trips you up? Aren't you tired of it? Isn't it time to do away with that sin that so easily entangles you? Wouldn't you love to be able to run freely the race that has been set before you? Just do it. Nobody can do it but you. You don't have to be a slave to sin any longer because Jesus has set you free. So lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles you and get used to treating your life like a marathon. Run with perseverance the race that is set before you. Let me remind you this morning, as a Bible-preaching pastor who loves you, we are in this for the long haul. Okay, We are playing the long game here. This is why I'm not freaking out about COVID-19 shutting church down this week. I'm not even really freaking out if it stretches to a few weeks. I'm expecting that we, as the people of God in this place, will rise up and we will see our church move into a season of greater health than we ever imagined in the wake of this crisis. Why? Because we are playing the long game here. We are running with perseverance the race that has been set before us. This is not a sprint. It is a marathon. I want to invite you, in light of all this, to remember that God determines the true measure of a life. How do we know this? Jacob didn't think much of his life. He felt like his life had not attained to that of his father's. But we then read in verse 10 that Jacob blessed Pharaoh. It helps to know our Bibles here. We know that when someone blesses someone else, there is a power exchange implied. We read in Hebrews 7, 7, it is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. So if we believe the Bible is true, and if we believe the teaching there in Hebrews 7, which is referring to when Melchizedek first met Abraham, okay, if we believe that the inferior is blessed by the superior, that makes sense, doesn't it? Because why would the inferior bless the superior, right? It's the superior who blesses the inferior. So if we believe that, then what we have here is a famine-stricken patriarch of a clan of 70 shepherds blessing a living God, small g, ruler of the most powerful kingdom on earth. This is an example of God turning things on their head. This is something he loves 
to do. How do we know? Because Matthew 19.30 says, Many who are first will be last, and the last shall be first. You serve a God who loves turning things on their head. I want to invite you to remember this morning to measure your life as God measures it. That's the crucial point. Stop measuring your life as you measure it. Stop measuring your life in comparison to all the people around you and begin, if you want to welcome the victory, measuring your life as God measures it. And you can welcome the victory by point number seven, knowing that you will be provided for by your Savior. Back in Genesis 47, look with me at verses 11 through 12. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. Notice what Joseph does for his family. He settles them. He gives them possession in the best of the land, and he provides for them nourishment, especially in light of the crisis that we are living through right now here in the city of Guelph and really around the world. I am inclined to take this passage very, very seriously. I'm inclined to think of Joseph as the savior of his family. When I see Joseph here providing for his family, I'm inclined to think of my savior Jesus and how he has promised to provide for us. So I bring you to the beautiful picture of provision found in Revelation chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord their God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. That image of the tree of life being so big that it literally straddles the river of life, meaning its root system is like a, like, um, like a what's the term, like a gate, okay? almost like a tunnel. The root system of the tree of life is so vast that it straddles the river of life and the tree sits on top of it and it has these massive branches and 12 different kinds of fruit that are born each month and leaves that are for the healing of the nations and there's no night there and you don't even need the sun because the Lord is its light. I mean, this is a picture of perfection if ever I saw one. Can we talk about Jesus for a minute? Can we talk about the fact that even if you suffer from a painful past, he has redeemed it in his work at the cross? Even if someone has grievously sinned against you, can we talk about the fact that Jesus has paid the penalty for that sin? Can we talk about the fact that even if you are enduring in this present moment a life of difficulty, that Jesus has suffered in ways in which you have never suffered and he did it to give you life? And he has promised to raise you up with him one day and to settle you in the new Jerusalem. Can we talk about the fact that your future in Jesus is absolutely secure? That when he comes back again in glory one day to judge the living and the dead and to inaugurate his kingdom which will have no end, he will come back to call you home and he will look on you with love and he will say, good job, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. Can we remind you of the fact that even now while we are sitting here convalescing in three weeks of near quarantine in the fallen west as we deal with a pandemic, that Jesus is not troubled by this and he has not stopped doing his work on your house, in his house, in glory. 
Your past, your present, and your future have been accounted for in Jesus. I want to invite you in this present season of difficulty to welcome the victory by knowing that your Savior has provided for you. Knowing that Jesus has provided for you should give you hope, even if, for a moment, things go from bad to worse. Bad to worse is what happens in Genesis 47, verses 13 through 26. This is the passage that talks about the famine days. And the famine gets worse and worse and worse. And all the food runs out in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan. And first they give all their money to buy food. And then when the food runs out, they give their livestock to buy food. And then when they've sold all the livestock, they sell themselves as slaves and their land to buy food. This is a picture of your life and mine. Don't you know that life has this awful tendency to go from bad to worse? Haven't we just seen this in the last 60 days? I was talking to Jeff Lampkin, our chairman, this week, reflecting on this crisis and what we're going to do in light of it. And he said, isn't it just wild to think that two months ago, none of us thought that this could ever happen. And over the last two months, things have gone from bad to worse, and we don't know where it's going to end. I take great comfort from knowing that this is not the first time in history that things have seemingly gone from bad to worse. And yet in the midst of it, God is still God. He is still on his throne. And you can welcome the victory by point number eight, remembering in the midst of this that you need a Savior. Verse 25, imagine this, after they've given all their money, all their livestock, they've sold themselves as slaves, and they've given all their land, they are happy about it. They say in verse 25 to Joseph, you have saved our lives. Remember a few weeks ago we told you about Joseph's name that Pharaoh gave him, Zaphenat Panea, right? That was his Egyptian name, and Jerome, who translated the first Old Testament, interpreted Zaphenat Panea as Salvator Mundi, which means in English, the savior of the world. Okay, this is who is working here in our original story. Joseph, the savior of the world. He has saved the lives of the Egyptians. On your way to victory, I want to invite you to do everything that you can do while depending on God to do what only he can do. Do you see this here in our text? They did everything they could. They gave all their money, and then when they came to the end of their money, they gave their livestock. And when they came to the end of their livestock, they gave themselves And when they came to the end of themselves, they gave their land. That is a picture of perseverance. That is a picture of tenacity in the midst of suffering. Let these Egyptian brothers and sisters from the deep past encourage you today to do everything you can while depending on God to do what only he can do. Because like Joseph, he is the one who can save. He is, ultimately, your Jesus, Salvatore Mundi. He is the Savior of the world. So do everything you can while waiting for him and depending on him to do what only he can do. And finally, welcome the victory, point number nine, by remembering that this story that you are caught up in is a very old story that ends, like all stories must, very well. And Kath, you can come join me here on stage. We're about to wrap things up. This story ends very well, and why do I say that it's an old story? Because of verses 27 through 30. Again, we're in Genesis 47. Turn there with me. Verse 27 through 30 reads thus. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen. Hear it. And they gained possession in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob of his life were 147 years. When the time drew near that he must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If I have now found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Don't bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me up out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. Joseph answered, I will do as you have said. Jacob said, Swear it. 
And Joseph swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. This is an old story that ends well, and I know it's true, because they were fruitful and multiplied greatly is a phrase that I have heard before. God's first command to the first two humans, our first parents, Adam and Eve, was what? Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it, in the words of Genesis 1, chapter 28. So when you see here the descendants of God's people, Jacob's family, Joseph's restored family, settling in the land of Goshen and being fruitful and multiplying greatly, you should see an echo of Eden at work in their lives. And you should take heart because I have heard it said that an echo does not just echo once, but it continues to echo. And you can expect that same echo of Eden to be active in your life. We see here a picture of the people of God, preserved by God, so that they can continue to fulfill the commandments of God. That is a pretty compelling picture of a victorious life, if you ask me. So, I want to invite you this morning, in the midst of this difficult season, to start living all in. I want to invite you to know what you're about, to know where you belong and why. I want to invite you to know what you need and to boldly begin asking for it. I want to invite you to expect the best. I want to invite you to expect yourself to be the best. I want to invite you to measure your life as God measures it and to know that you will be provided for by your Savior, remembering that you need that Savior. And I want to remind you this morning to never forget that this very old story you're caught up in ends really, really well. So in the midst of all your winning and losing, in the midst of all your ups and all your downs, because victory is coming, like Jacob bowed himself upon the head of his bed in worship, in verse 31, my suggestion in these troubled days is that we do the same.